Good morning, Calvary Church. How you doing? Yes. Oh, you can do better than that. I've heard you do better than that. How you doing? Yes. Much better. So good to be here. Um, my wife and I, you may even know my wife. Everybody knows my wife. Her name is Mina. Nobody knows me. Everybody knows Mina. She served at various uh, capacities here in the community. But uh, we actually have history with this church, even though we've only been attending here since about October. But it'll be 33 years ago next month that I first spoke at Calvary Chapel back over in McKenzie. And uh, Greg wasn't even born then. No. <laughs> but, uh, or if he was, he was really wet behind the ears. But anyway, um, and so we spoke, you know, there a couple of times throughout the years. I actually did a retreat for Calvary Chapel back in the day. And so uh, there has been, you know, some connection that way. And like Rob said, uh, we used to work at Biovel together. He worked in the smart department. I worked in the other one. Um, he was saying something about if there's some place you want to go where you can be clean all the time. I don't happen to remember that. I was covered in stuff all the time until I graduated. But, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that was interesting. And like was mentioned earlier, at the end of next month, I am going to be doing a focus group on living as God's people out of uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, so that's going to be February 28th, I think. It's going to be downstairs, 7 o'clock. You don't have to sign up, just show up. And uh, if you've got any questions, uh, my email address is on the website, as well as a little blurb about what that focus group is going to be all about. And so you can go there and check that out, and uh, we would love to have you. It's going to be lots of fun. Five-week study uh, for anybody who wants to come. And so uh, that'll be 7 o'clock downstairs. Your Majesty, as we bow before you this morning, we say, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. This morning I've got my Bible open to Mark chapter 1. I will be reading from the New English translation, so it may read just a hair different than yours. And in Mark chapter 1, we are going to read verse 1 and then go down and read verses 14 and 15. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1 reads as follows. In the beginning, or it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then verse 14 now, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, Mark announced good news. Writing to Christians in Rome, both Jew and Gentile, who were just beginning to experience persecution, right? They were just starting to come into persecution. And this was the first gospel that was ever written. And it was written to encourage them in the story that they were a part of, right? And so this narrative was put together. But his good news was that a new king had come. A royal herald had been sent ahead of the new monarch to get people ready for his arrival. Jesus of Nazareth 
was then anointed by heaven itself as the Spirit of God came upon him, setting him apart and empowering him for his mission. The voice of God also affirmed that he was the divine Son of God, not Caesar. Having been proven on the field of battle to be qualified to occupy his royal royal position, King Jesus then steps onto the stage of history with a message of his own. Startling in its implications, this message forms the foundation of all that he would say and do. And it is absolutely critical that we get a firm grasp on the king's message. So let's break it down and let's look at it together. First of all, look back in verse 14. It says, Now after John was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. You know that word gospel really needs to be looked at because unfortunately it's gotten kind of a bum rap. We have reduced the word gospel down to just kind of good news. Oh, it's a little warmer out today. Yeah, good news, right? Oh, the stock market's going back up. Good news, right? But this word was not that. In fact, this word, hold your breath here, but this word was not even a Christian word. Did you know that? This was a very secular word, one that was very popular in the Roman Empire. Everybody would know what the word gospel means because in the Greek, it is the Greek word euangelion. You should name your next kid that just because it's fun to say. Euangelion. Can you imagine? Hey, euangelion. No, whatever. But euangelion means good or joyful news. It's not just something that's casual. This is something that strikes the attention and is meant to grab a hold of people and make them listen. In fact, Dr. Tim Keller in his book, um, Jesus the King, which is a commentary on Mark's gospel, he writes the following and he really says what gospel means. He says the word had currency when Mark used it, but it was not religious currency. It meant history-making, life-shaping news as opposed to just daily news. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. I mean, this is table-flipping, attention-getting, joy-making news, something that causes you to sit up and pay attention. All right, that's what this word means. And so anybody in the Roman Empire, when they would have heard this this word used, especially in association with somebody else, they would have immediately have perked up. And I want you to notice here in verse 14 that it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel, the very important attention-getting, life-altering, joy-making news of God. Now, when he says that it's of God, first of all, it means that this announcement originated with God. This was something that was born right out of heaven. And it was telling us about God's activity. This was something that God was up to. And the other thing that it means is that this activity would be accomplished through his son. Now, it's interesting, and I hope you noticed as we were reading it, 
that Mark actually uses this word twice here in chapter 1. First of all, in verse 1, when he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then here again in verse 14, where he calls it the gospel of God. He is not talking about two separate things. He is talking about something that is actually one and the same. First of all, this was the life-altering news about the anointed one. It was also the life-altering news from God. And this news about Jesus Christ was life-altering because he brought life-altering news from God. And so they're not talking about two separate things. There's not two separate Gospels. There is one Gospel that is from God, that is centered in His Son, and He came to announce it. And it's the announcement that we see in verse 15. So look at that. He said, so here's the good news from God. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news or the gospel. Now he says the time is fulfilled. What in the world does that mean? Well, it could mean a couple of things, I guess. It could mean a time that was predetermined according to God the Father. You know, on this day in this year, this shall happen. And there's probably some truth to that. But if this means anything, it means that everything was suddenly in place. Something had happened that everything was leading up to. This was a point that everybody was waiting for. And now all of a sudden, it is breaking in upon them. Everything that they'd been anticipating, everything they'd been waiting for was now about to happen. The stage was set, the curtain was drawn, and the production was about to begin. And this production was none other than the fact that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, when we think about that term kingdom of God, what does that mean? I mean, I know most anointed here has talked about the kingdom lots. But what does that mean? We, 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 we need to be reminded of this continuously. Because so many times when we think about kingdom, we think about location. Like the kingdom of Great Britain. Well, we all know where that is. That's a group of islands over there in the North Atlantic, right? Well, that's not what this means. This word for kingdom is the Greek word basileia. And it literally means royal power, or kingship, or dominion, or reign. It's not talking about something uh, that you can go and lay your finger on, like a geographical location. It is literally talking about the exercising of a king's authority. And so when he talks about the kingdom of God, he is referring to the actual rule and reign of God. It is God exercising his sovereignty in active dominion. In fact, my beloved late mentor Jack Taylor wrote this in his book, Cosmic Initiative. He says, it is the emerging order of God through Christ in the affairs of humankind. In other words, God is coming, and He is coming as King. 
God is ruling right here in the right now. The actual reign of God is breaking in upon us because Jesus says the kingdom or the rule or the dominion of God is near. Your Bible might say the kingdom of God is at hand. Either way, it's perfectly legitimate. My Bible is at hand because I can reach out and touch it. My laptop is not at hand. You've got to go a couple of blocks and do an address on Henry Street to get to that. All right? But he says here, the kingdom of God is near. And that means at least three things. First of all, the kingdom of God is here because the king is here. And you cannot separate king and kingdom. Wherever you find the king, he is always king every place. And he always exercises his dominion. So he's talking in spatial terms, right? The kingdom of God is present or the kingdom of God is near because the king is here. Also, it means that the king is ruling. He is actively being kingly. He's doing king stuff. So that's power. So power is now coming from the king in his active rule. But it also means that it's accessible. You can actually experience it. This has come out of the realm of the theoretical into the realm of the actual. To where now it's not something that you're just looking down the road as something that might show up one of these days. This is something that is here and we can all get in on it. Right? So that's what this means when he says that God's actual dominion is right here right now. Incredibly important. But now, how do you and I read this? Well, I mean, it's kind of easy for us because we got a completed Bible. We know how this story ends, right? So we can read Old Testament. We can read New Testament. We've read the book of the Revelation. Jesus wins. Hallelujah. But now put yourself back into the place of the first readers. How would they have seen it? Well, remember, he was writing to Christians in Rome, both Jew and Gentile. So they would have both read that a little bit differently. If you were a Jew and somebody came to you saying the kingdom of God is near, they would have heard God has fulfilled his promise. God has fulfilled his promise. Go back into your Old Testament and read all of those prophecies where God was threatening to send his people into exile. In the midst of his wrath, we also see his mercy because in and amongst those threats of exile was also the promise that one day God's king was going to dawn on the scene of history, seated on the throne of David and ruling in righteousness forever. And when he took his place, everything was going to change. An example of that would be Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which everybody's familiar with because we sing it every Christmas, right? Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Listen to this. This is from the New American Standard Bible. It says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, 
Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of his, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So that was the hope of the Jews. They were waiting in exile. They were waiting with great anticipation for this day when this king would finally show up. And now all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near. They'd have gone, hot dog, it's happening. Right? But if you were a Roman, how would you have heard this? Very different from what the Jews heard. I guarantee you. Remember, this is the table-flipping, life-altering, earth-shattering, joy-bringing good news from God. Gospeling was a very important thing back in the Roman days. Whenever a new territory would be conquered by the Roman Empire, whenever a new heir to the throne would be born. They would have these guys showing up in, you know, very colorful attire, calling attention in the town, saying, Good news! Good news! The Roman Empire has expanded. Good news! The Caesar has been born. Good news! So they knew what this was about. They meant everything is about to change. And so when they heard this as a Roman... Here's what they would have heard. First of all, they would have heard someone else is taking over. Someone else is taking over. <laughs> A new empire is about to emerge. Rome is coming to an end. Caesar's about to be dethroned. And God is about to take his place. That's what they would have heard. Oh, the empire's in trouble. Why do you think it is when three wise guys showed up in Herod's court and wanted to worship the king of the Jews, Herod got scared. He knew what that meant. My dynasty is not going to continue. Somebody else is here and he's taken over. And he was not actually a Jew, but he reigned over the area of Judea. So that's what a Roman would have heard. Somebody else is here. A new empire is coming in. And that meant, number two, everything is about to change. Nothing is ever going to be the same as a result of this particular announcement. And the other thing that they would have heard is we've got one of two choices. Get in or get out. Get on board or get run over. There is no middle ground here. You can't just sit there and go, oh, well, I guess we'll see how that works out. <laughs> That's a good place to get run over. There are no bystanders here. It's time to either get in, get out, get on, or get off, but you have to do something. And that's why at the end of this passage here in Romans 1.15, we hear the following words. Jesus made the statement the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. 
This is a startling statement. I mean, this is calling for an actual response. you got to do something with this. But think about it like this. The ultimate king is taking the ultimate control, resulting in the ultimate defeat of his enemies and the ultimate good of his people. That's what was being said. Let me say that again. The ultimate king is taking the ultimate control, resulting in the ultimate defeat of his enemies and the ultimate good of his people. You can't just let that sit. You can't just bypass that. Right? We've got to respond. But if we're going to respond, we have got to respond on the king's terms. He defines what this is going to look like. And this is why he said, the kingdom is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. Now, again, that word repentance is one of those words that we've got some funny ideas about. I can remember when I first started hanging around the kingdom, you know, whenever we thought about repenting, we thought about having to fall down in some kind of a bawling fit because we'd sinned. And if you didn't shed a tear, brother, you really didn't repent. All right? Did you ever believe that? I did. <laughs> you know, you know, how do you know that you've actually repented? Well, you know, let's look at what the word actually means. And the Greek word for repent is a Greek word metanoeo. Did I say that right, Rob? <laughs> Close enough. Metanoeo. And it and all it means, all the word means is to turn around after giving consideration. Every husband who's ever gotten lost knows what this word means. I can neither confirm nor deny. Ruff says, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> you know what it's like, boys, let's just fess up. We all know where we're going all the time. Who needs GPS? Who needs a map? Right? The wives are about to wear themselves out going like this. Right? So here we are. We're going and going and going and going and going till finally the wife dares speak up and says, I think we're going the wrong direction. Maybe you should stop and ask. I know where I'm going. And so we keep going and we keep going and we keep going till finally we say, I think we might be going in the wrong direction. And then finally we pull over to some place that looks halfway safe. One time we were in Minneapolis. My wife wanted me to stop. I said, have you looked at the neighborhood we're in? Not doing it. She might have gotten away with it. I was not getting out of the car. Anyway, we finally pull into a place that looks at least halfway safe. Go in and uh, the guy looks at you like you just landed from Mars and says, dude, you're about 10 miles away from where you're supposed to be. Go all the way back over there. Get back onto the freeway. Go about five miles down. Then turn off. Thank you. So then we got to debate this. Do I go and humiliate myself in my, the presence of my wife and say she was right? But after giving consideration, we decide that's probably correct. And so we get back in the car, go where he said, and sure enough, we end up at our destination. We repented, meaning we had to humble ourselves. 
and admit that we were wrong. We were out of sync. Why are you laughing so hard? I didn't think it was that funny. (laughs) But that's all repentance means. It means to give due consideration to what has just been proffered and based on the information that we now have, we decide there's a better choice to be made here. In fact, Alan Street in his book called Heaven on Earth, he says, Repentance includes renouncing our former loyalties and allegiances. The word carries the idea of making an about face or reorienting our lives. When we repent, we turn our backs on the kingdom of darkness to which we have belonged since birth. We choose to cease and desist from operating according to the principles of this world. The kingdom of God is at hand. We've got to change the way we think. We have got to look at life completely differently from the, different from the way we looked at it before. We have got to adjust ourselves to where now we are thinking in line with the king. And that's why Jesus did not just leave it with repent. He said, repent and believe this good news. Now, this word believe is not just something that we kind of nod at and say, oh, well, yeah, we we knew that, you know. Yeah, of course, right? That's what we've come to think of believe is, is some kind of a mental agreement that we just kind of assent to. But in the scriptures and in the, the world of the Bible, that wasn't what believe meant at all. In order for you to believe meant that you embrace this with everything you've got. This now becomes the north star by which you are setting your course. Everything in life gets interpreted according to this reality. So I'm turning away from my previous definitions and I'm embracing this definition. I'm turning away from whatever I thought life was before because this is life. I love that song we sang this morning. This is life. This is what this is all about. And so I embrace it with my whole heart. And repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin. You cannot repent until you believe, but because you believe, you will automatically repent. It's as simple as that. So when Jesus brought this announcement, he literally came to turn everything on its head. Life has got to be reinterpreted according to the fact that God is breaking in and God is taking over. Now what are you going to do about it? You know, there could be no more startling announcement than this one. The king's message should cause people from all walks of life to sit up and take notice. God has broken into our world and he is here to take over. It is a message that should strike utter terror in the hearts of God's enemy. And there should be loud hoops and hollers of joy among God's people. His message means that nothing will ever be the same again. 
this radical announcement calls for an immediate and radical response. We will either run toward it and embrace it with all the devotion we can muster, or we will run away from it to our ultimate peril. There are no other choices. There is no middle ground. There are no gray areas. The only question to answer is this. Will you pledge your full allegiance to this king? And in this crowd this morning, the question is even more personal than that. The question is, what is holding you back from pledging your full allegiance to this king? I know by the Spirit of God this morning that there are some of you that are hanging on to things that is tripping you up in your walk with the king. There's some of you that think you've got some things tucked away under the corner that nobody else knows about. Guess what? We are dealing with a king whose eyes are a flame of fire and there is nothing that you and I can pull that he doesn't know about. The best thing that we can do is get honest about it and say, yes, yep, that's it. Here it is. Think he doesn't know? Guess again. There are others here this morning that you're carrying garbage from your past. There are people here that are carrying garbage from previous churches. I say that carefully, but I say it because it's true. You're walking around with stuff on your shoulders, offenses on your shoulders from previous things. You've been hurt. I get that. Believe me, I get that. You've been hurt. And you've got a decision to make. Either you can hang on to that stuff and continue dragging it around, or you can let go of it and get free. And you can submit to the king and say, I'm done with that. Yeah, that happened. I get that. But I'm done with that. I'm throwing that off. I'm going all the way. King and kingdom. Come hell, come high water. Doesn't make any difference. I'm here and I ain't backing down. Some of you here this morning, you need to make a move. Listen to me very closely here. Some of you this morning, you need to make a move. What I mean? I mean you need to get up and you need to get out of your seat and you need to step forward and say, I'm going all the way today. I am throwing off my past. I'm throwing off my junk. I am going all the way today. Maybe we should have our band come up and get ready. (laughs) Taylor's looking at me like, really? (laughs) Didn't that youth group do a great job this morning? Bless their heart. Wow. So good. So good. But listen to me. I am just as serious. I'm going to be like Greg and be deadly serious this morning. (laughs) Don't sit here and wait. If you need to make a move this morning, then by golly, get up and make a move. Walk forward. Raise your hands. Don't wait for somebody to come pray for you. You can pray. Just tell God, you're right, I've been holding this around my neck for too long. Here, you take this. I'm going to be done away with it. There'll be people down here that would love to pray with you. If you need some prayer, that's great. But don't wait. You need to come, you get up, and you come.